Welcome to the Radically Christian Crosstalk Podcast, Season 2, Episode 11. I'm your host, Wes McAdams. Join me and my co-hosts, James Sumners and Sam Dominguez, as we discuss on this week's episode, Are We More Like Judas Than We'd Like to Admit? The Crosstalk Podcast is not a sermon, a Bible class, or even a formal Bible study. It's simply a spiritual conversation among friends that we hope you'll find edifying, and then we'll encourage you to have these types of spiritual conversations with people in your life. And now let's jump right into that conversation. Uh, a little while back, I was talking to my son about uh, uh, Jesus and the crucifixion and all of the events that uh, led up to that, and we uh, got a little bit sidetracked talking about Judas and the betrayal, and as as we've started doing with uh, a lot of the things we talk about, I started asking him, do you understand what these words mean? Can you relate to me what you think this means? And so I had asked him, what do you think it means that Judas betrayed Jesus, you know, and started finding out a little bit more about his understanding of, of words like that, that we kind of we're, we're almost comfortable just letting them think, well, it just means bad, you know, but it, it means a little more than that. I thought Nathan's response was actually uh, uh, pretty good, considering I hadn't really discussed it with him. Uh, he said that his, it was uh, Judas acted like he was Jesus' friend when he wasn't. And I thought that pretty well hit the nail on the head uh, for his character. But we started talking about uh, Judas and, and the decisions that he made, and just... Uh, asking him uh, just questions in general to kind of probe what his thinking was. I said, what do you think was Judas's biggest mistake that he made? And he kind of looks at me like, well, duh, dad, he betrayed Jesus. <laughs> and I said, you know, that was, that was a, that was a mistake certainly. Um, but I, I think his greatest mistake was the fact that he didn't seek forgiveness afterward, and instead he he killed himself afterward, uh, which then led into a whole other discussion. But um, it, that was just something that had has been on my mind quite a bit when, whenever I really consider the ramifications of the apostles and the mistakes that they make, and when they have to seek forgiveness and and. You know, we're we're given tremendous insight into the fact that these men had flaws and made mistakes, and it makes me wonder. You know, if Judas had simply known better about Jesus, if he had truly understood Jesus uh, in truth the way Peter did, that he he could have recovered from that. He could have come back and sought forgiveness, and he could have had a testimony that was. Uh, you know, powerful in the same way that Paul's was powerful, but instead he, he took the guilt and the shame that he felt and instead decided to take his own life and, and was, you know, locked permanently into that mistake that he made. You know, it, it, it's interesting to me that, that Judas, that that's the part that doesn't seem to make sense. You know, I, I wonder what was going through his head in that moment. Um, it's hard to get inside of Judas's mind and and say, you know, what was his motivation? Other than we know he was a thief, we know that he was stealing from the the, the group's money, and, and so you could say, and you know, it's interesting all the things that Scripture puts as far as money is concerned that um, that the greatest competition between God for our heart 
is with money. It, and, and it's interesting that, you know, Jesus says you cannot serve God and you would think you would say Satan or something like that, but he says you can't serve God and money. That's, that is the competition that God has with our hearts is, is money. And, and Judas was one who was in love with the things of this world. I mean, he, he certainly was. So it, it's interesting to me that someone that has shown such an idolatry, and that's what Paul says that covetousness is, is idolatry, that he is an idolater and he he worships money. He serves money. He is a slave to money. He's stealing from, from the group. He's, he's um, you know, when the, the perfume is used on Jesus, you know, he's he says, well, that's a waste of money because he loves money. He loves money more than he loves Jesus. So it's interesting to me that given his idolatry, that when all things are said and done and he feels that guilt, that he throws the money back. That's really interesting to me. To somebody that has has up to this point stolen and not given the money back. I mean, I mean, he was he was a Jew. I mean, he was a disciple of Jesus. He knew how horrible theft was. You know, I mean, he he understood that he was guilty before and and never seemed to have shown that remorse so much so that he even goes and sells out his master, his rabbi, his teacher, you know, presumably the one he knows to be the Christ, the Son of God, and he sells him out. And then there is that remarkable moment where he says, I don't want this, and he throws it back to um, to the, the the Jews, and that 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 really is amazing. It, it it is a shame that he goes and hangs himself. Um, but it's like I wonder what what was he thinking? You know, why why did he even if in his guilt that he didn't hang on to the money that he was so guilt ridden that he threw it back and said, "I don't want this." So many times in in this life, or at least the way we think, we often look at like evil as something big, you know, like his evil was really manifest when he, when he betrayed him, like kind of like what Nathan is saying. And it's like, that's how, that's how it, like you really know that he's lost is because he betrays Jesus. Well, in the, the real sense, he betrayed Jesus long before mm-hmm. he actually accepted money. Um, his heart had betrayed Jesus. He had been, he had been preparing for this and, and, we often want to look for like uh, like the big reason, you know, what is it, what is the big, you know, what is it, you know, so many times we like to watch super, you know, superhero movies and the superhero has to have a super villain. And, and in, in a sense, I mean, he kind of becomes that, like he's this huge despicable person and he's, I mean, nobody else would do anything so despicable as this, except for maybe the chief priests and Pharisees because they have so much power already. Um, but, you know, we don't, we don't, uh, look at just the fact that he's a normal guy um, more or less. I mean, from the extent that he's living with Jesus. So he's not, I mean, depending on how you look at things, even if um, maybe he's uh, kind of uh, held up because he's the treasurer or something like that, but still he's to a degree, he's a nobody. I mean, he's a, he may be Jesus's disciple and that may lift him up in a lot of people's eyes, but he's still somebody who in general is not living in his own house is not, he doesn't have any properties more or less. As far as we know, he's kind of given up everything to follow Jesus. And, and so in a sense, he's still kind of a, just a, he's just a normal follower of Jesus. uh, One of the other disciples and really not that much different, but, but we make him so drastically different in our minds because none of the other disciples could have been like, like uh, Judas. I mean, Peter, Peter, he eventually he he repents, 
but but Judas obviously there was more to it than that. Well, I think you know a lot of people try and 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 read great purpose into Judas to try and make more sense of him. You know whether uh, like we were saying earlier, um, you know he was trying to uh, force Jesus to take on the kingship or or whatever, and and. None of these these attempts to instill great great purpose behind what he was doing uh, really hold any water with what we find in the scripture. And the truth of the matter is, the vast majority, if not every one of us, who when we fail Jesus, it is not because we have some great you know purpose or because we are some great evil or something along those lines. What it truly amounts to is we're greedy or we're not trusting, or we're not loving, or just any number of different mundane things in which we have laid the groundwork for disobedience, and then lo and behold, in the heat of the moment, we disobey. And it just so happened that Judas's, you know, what was the pinnacle moment of his life. But a lot of people want to make him out to be more than just a man who made a mistake, who sinned, because we don't want any type of reminder that we are just like him and that our own behavior can be just like him. We don't want to sit back and think about how often we are effectively defrauding Christ uh, with our, our, our money. Uh, we don't want to think about uh, how we, we are effectively, if not literally, taking money away uh, from, from the gift to the Lord, how we, like Peter, deny Jesus how we effectively betray Jesus by claiming to be his friend when in truth we are in service with his enemies. We, we don't want Judas to be just like us. We don't want to conceive of what he did as being something we are capable of. And so we, you know, like James said, we make a supervillain out of him. Mm-hmm. And the truth of the matter is, he was just a man. He, he was sinful. And unfortunately for him, you know, that, that, that's really the woe to him. You know, when, when Jesus says woe to the man who, who betrays, we, we, or at least I have in the past, you know, considered that to be like, you know, a threat from the power of God type of a thing. Oh, this guy's really going to get it. But that's not the way Jesus bestows woe on people. You know, what he says is this is a warning. You need to change your way. Woe to you. There's a sorrowful future ahead if you don't change your ways. And we, we don't want to see the fact that, we're just like him. It's interesting to me that in that moment when Jesus says, um, you know, that someone's, the the one that I hand this to is going to betray me. Um, and, uh, you know, all of them ask the question, well, is it, is it me? And I've never, I don't know that I've ever quite understood that, but, um, but at the same time, I think to a certain degree, we need to ask ourselves that question. Could I be the one, could I be like Judas? I mean, it's like, I, you know, that's like, usually we want to say, well, can I be like David or can I be like Peter or can I be like Paul? I mean, like, can I, can I be built up to be that man? Yeah. But we don't think about ourselves in the reverse of, yeah, I could be that guy. Could, I mean, could, could I stoop to that level? I mean, like right now, no, but if I allowed myself to, to not, if I, if I didn't continue on in the life that I have in my service to God, I could become just as much uh, a betrayer of Jesus as, as uh, Judas was. And I think it all, it all boils down to that, that he had his affections and his mind set on the things of the world. 
and not on the things of heaven. And you know, and 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 Jesus said the exact same thing to Peter. I mean, Peter, he said to Peter when when Peter said, "No, you're not going to die." Peter said, "No," or Jesus said to him, "He said you've got your mindset. You're thinking like a man thinks. You know, these are the 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 thoughts of a man and not of God." And and so that's exactly and and we see that in all of the apostles. We see this this desire for a worldly kingdom. We see this desire for a worldly king. And and their their mind was still set on things below, and and we also have to I think take into consideration that this was this was pre Pentecost, you know, and and so of course that was their mentality. That was everybody's mentality at the time, except Jesus, you know, for the most part. That the the kingdom was a spiritual kingdom. That that this wasn't going to be about money, and it wasn't going to be about swords, and it wasn't going to be about armies, and it wasn't going to be about physical kingdoms, and so. Of course, that so many people were thinking about the things they could put their hands on, um, but but the thing is, you know, Judas gave up before before seeing the big picture, you know, and and so many of us do too. We we don't take the time to say, listen, I don't I don't see it yet, but I'm going to be faithful anyway. I don't I don't quite get it, but but I'm going to hang on, you know. And I think about some of these young Christians that that they know enough to obey the gospel. But they don't. They they get discouraged, you know. And and when things aren't working out the way that they think they're going to, they think I'm I'm going to be I'm going to be baptized, and then you know my financial problems will go away, or my health will get better, and and then things even seem to get worse. And 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 they say, you know, I just this isn't working, and they just give up. Whereas if they hung on long enough, they would realize it's not about the things of this world, and I have what really matters, and that's fellowship with God. And and if we could help them in that. We we should, but but also we all have to we have to let the seed grow, you know. And sometimes the seed falls on thorny soil, and sometimes it falls on rocky soil. Sometimes it falls along the path. Jesus said it was going to be that way. That's the way that it's going to be. And and we've got to cultivate our heart so that the gospel sinks deep down inside, and that even in those moments where we say, "I don't understand why this is happening," and I don't understand. How does the gospel help me in this situation? We say, I don't understand, but I'm going to be faithful anyway. Well, that's that's like what James was talking about. We try and come up with with these big ideas, these big reasons. You know what what caused Judas to leave his faith mm-hmm. in Jesus, and and you know there there wasn't one big thing. It was a multitude of little things. It was every little decision he made to be less than who God wanted him to be, less than what Jesus had instructed him to be. Every decision he made to discount the truth that he was witness to, every decision he made to proceed on with the ill intent that he had, even when it wasn't as enticing as it should have been. Consider the ramifications of, of his thievery. It's not as though... You know, it, it it's it's like you know if somebody broke into my truck, it's like, good on you, buddy. You're not going to get anything worthwhile in there. You know, it, it's like some some things are so worthless. Why even go to the trouble to steal them? Well, it's not like he was picking the biggest purse in the land. You know, it's not like he said, "Oh boy, look at all this money sitting aside, and I'm going to get me a piece of that." No, they had so little, and yet he was skimming off of that, and and that really reveals to us the nature of sin. You know, I think it's, you know, that that's why he is described as a thief, is as he was a thief, 
And so he was doing this little thing. This little thing didn't make him a thief. No, he was a thief. And so even though it wasn't some huge gain that he was getting, he wasn't motivated by huge gain. He was motivated motivated by the fact that he liked ill-gotten gain, Mm -hmm. no matter how small, you know? And so he laid... This long and this long road to disobedience. He laid this strong foundation so that when the time came for big disobedience, guess what? He was all prepped and ready. And yet we then fail to lay a foundation to build the path to righteousness. We don't take the little mundane everyday steps of obedience that build up our faith that help us work out our salvation, that make it less and less likely that we will ever have one of those big moments that makes us fall completely away. But, you know, we we struggle with those times. Well, this just isn't working out. And you want to tell those people, you need to give it time, but in the time that you're giving it, work out your salvation. Be obedient. Take every little step of obedience. Don't worry about obedience tomorrow. Worry about your obedience today. That's going to be the thing that builds on tomorrow. You know, the uh, the discussion discussion of then you build obedience to uh, 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 the planting of the seed and the the, you know, we, we had talked about earlier and it just continues to, to, to go through my mind. The, the parable of the, um, not the sower, not the parable of the seed, but to a degree in my mind, it's more of a parable of the soil. Mm-hmm. Um, the parable of the, I mean, the, the seed remains the same. It, the seed is the same across all of them. The, 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 the sower is the same across all of those, uh, all of those, but the thing that's different is the soil. You have a soil that's that's uh, hard because it hasn't been prepared. You have a soil that's got too many weeds in it, and and so they they're gonna overrun it. And you've got a soil that's ready, um, ready to receive the seed. But you know, and you think about that, and that you know, the seed grows best and grows strongest, and will continue to grow and thrive in cultivated soil. But but it can't stay that way on its own. Because if you can cultivate soil and you can plant a seed, but then weeds can still crop up. Because there's there's another parable that goes on about that. Well, how, you've got you've got you know weeds and you've got you've got your plant, and what do you do about it? Well, to a certain degree, anyway. I mean, the, my 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 point is is that you know there's a point at which um, Judas's so, soil may have been soft that he was receiving the word, but he but at some point. He didn't continue to do that cultivation. He didn't continue to dig deep. He didn't continue to maintain um, a soft heart that he could receive the Word of God. At some point, he chose not to continue working on his heart to follow God. At some point, he began to develop a hard heart, which then prevented his soul, the <laughs> prevented the the fruit of his uh, of his um, devotion to God to to actually fulfill itself. And isn't that amazing? I mean, you you guys have both hit on that, that that really it's about hearts and it's about fruit. It's about revealing. I love what you said, Sam, that that he was a thief and so he stole because that was what was in his heart. That's who he was. Um, and it really it really just goes to show that our actions, our actions reveal who we are. And they are an indicator of who we are. The way we treat people is an indicator of what's in our heart. The way we talk is an indicator of what's in our heart. Um, our our 
thieving or our generosity is an indication of what's in our heart. And so that has to be our focus. Our focus has to be on our heart. And so often in the church, as Christians, we we have a tendency to just focus on behavior modification. We have a tendency to just tell people, well, do the right thing. And we don't want all this heart mumbo jumbo. We don't want all this, you know, feelings and whatnot. And it's like, well, yes, absolutely, it has to do with behavior, but it begins at the heart. And that's why the gospel is so transformative that the gospel, it it, it transforms us. It changes the way we think and the way that we we feel. It changes our perspective. And therefore, we want to do what is right. We want to do the good. We want to do uh, what we're supposed to do. And Jesus, and through his work, has given us the the power and the ability and the knowledge to do that. You know, I was telling you earlier that uh, after the the end of the sermon this morning, Micah was looked up at me and said, "What is faithfulness?" And and to give him, you know, a two two-and-a-half, three-year-old version of faithfulness, I said, it's obeying because you love. Mm. Um, and, uh, uh, but, you know, that's that's the thing, like, that so, so much of, we can't really, like, I can't just separate my heart from my action. My heart says, I won't follow God. And so what am I going to do? I am going to beat my body into submission in the sense that Paul talks about. I am going to to build up all the muscles of my body. I'm going to build up my soul. I'm going to build up my heart. I'm going to build up my arms. I'm going to build up my legs. Whatever part of me that needs work, I'm going to work on that. And the parts that maybe don't need work, I'm going to continue to maintain them or at least build them up even stronger. I mean, that's what that's what an athlete does. An athlete doesn't say, well, well, I've got good legs, so I'm not going to work on my legs anymore. I'm going to work on my arms. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You've got to, you've got to build your strength in whatever you're, you're doing. And in a spiritual sense, we can't just work on our heart because if we only work on our heart, other parts of us may fall into uh, disrepair and we are not able to continue to serve God in certain ways. I mean, what, uh, Sam is such a, a, an amazing <laughs> example of, of how he, he desired to be able to communicate, and that, that's something that's really uh, strong in his heart. So he, he, he went through the physical effort of, of, of doing that. I am, I am so much the opposite of that. It's more like, well, you know, I got words in my head so I can get them out, you know? Um, but, but in, in a lot of ways, that's not the appropriate reaction. If I care about the word of God and I want to tell people about it, I need to consider how I'm going to, to deliver that and how I'm going to speak about it. And I feel myself so much when we're talking about all of this with the heart, the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks what, you know, it's not, it, it, the things that that come from us, our actions, even our words, everything that comes out of out of us comes from us, comes from what's in our heart. The the real issue with behavior modification religion, uh, or a behavior modification theology, is the fact that you end up convincing people out of bad works that truly reveal their heart and into good works that don't reveal their heart. Because their heart hasn't changed. And we are then satisfied, well, the good works are being done, but good works that are not out of the overflow of the heart are worthless. You know, mm-hmm. that your works are supposed to be the proof of your faith. And if that's not what they're the proof of, then hey, you're just another nice guy. Even even sinful people do these things, you know. 
we we really have to examine ourselves and try and recognize why am I doing what I'm doing, both good and bad, and determine that I want Christ to to richly dwell within me so that when I do good, it is because of the overflow of Christ in me. Mm-hmm. And when I do bad, it is a part of me that is attempting to reject Christ, and I discipline that that out of me. Uh, but I, I can't let the conversation end without referencing uh, what James said this morning in how similar or how, how he was reminded of, of King Saul, you know, someone who we've talked about many times in regards to Judas, and how he started out with so much promise and then through a, just a consistent life of choosing to, to do something other than what God wanted him to do, he set himself up to, to be this incredible failure. And it's one of those things where we have to sit back and, and, and not look at Saul and say, oh man, what a failure. But look at him and say, what a warning to me. Mm-hmm. And look back at my life and say, what am I setting myself up for? Am I setting myself up for a legacy of obedience? Or am I going to be a warning to somebody else? Yeah, that's it. Like Micah says, his prayers have been so strange lately. He'll say things like, thank you, God, for, you know, I'll say, thank you, God, for Jesus. Thank you, God, for Peter. Thank you, God, for David. Thank you, God, for Goliath. And, you know, <laughs> and, you know, and then and Bella says, well, no, you don't want to thank God for Goliath. But I say, no, wait, we learn, we learn something from Goliath. And we learn something from all the bad characters in the Bible, all the, the bad people we learn, we can learn from their mistakes. So we thank God for the examples that he's laid before us, both good and bad. We, we thank God to an example. And so sad. I mean, even to Saul, someone with so much promise, Judas with so much promise, Jesus picked him. He chose him. He wasn't just some random guy off the street and said, Hey, you want to come along with me? He washed his feet. He washed his feet. I mean, he served him. He was his master and he served him. Consider that uh, the phrase that just is pounding in my head and has been for months now is, and such were some of you. Mm-hmm. Judas had the opportunity to be the man who said that. He could have said, look what I did, and then look what Christ did for me. Paul. And he yeah. he made another bad choice. But we have to learn from that. We have to look at Judas and not say, oh, look at that supervillain. I'm glad I'm nothing like him. And instead say, and such were some of you. Such was I, except for what Christ did for me. A big thanks to my co-host and to Cameron McElyay for his help in the production of this show. And thank you to all of our listeners. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating and review on iTunes so others can be encouraged as well. As always, we want you to know that we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day. Mm